Dr. Larry Hovis, who now calls Winston-Salem his home, has been a frequent guest proclaimer here at Oakmont through the years, having been here just actually, I think, back in August. This month, Larry will complete 14 years as the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of North Carolina Executive Coordinator. He's a graduate of NC State University, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Union Theological Seminary in Richmond. Prior to going to CBFNC, he was a senior pastor at the Memorial Baptist Church here in Greenville. Larry's wife, Kim, is here with him this morning. They have one daughter, Lauren, who lives in the Washington, D.C. area. Larry has been a good friend to our pastor, Greg, through the years, and to Oakmont as well, and we are grateful for his coming to share God's word with us this morning. Larry, please come. Thank you, Michael, for that uh, warm introduction on what is a cool, cool Sunday morning, isn't it? In fact, when, I, when I, we got here this morning, Wiley Nifong accused us of bringing the cold air in from the western part of the state. Uh, it could also be the, uh, the cool breezes of uh, a challenging football day for North Carolina schools yesterday as well. I mean, just about every school that I know over keep up with lost. Uh, so uh, we have a lot to sort of ponder on, but we're here in the Lord's house to worship together today, and Kim and I are excited to be back at Oakmont. Yeah, I think it was actually July, not August, but three months ago, not that long, and last Sunday, I was back at the memorial down the street for homecoming, so I'm thinking about getting an apartment in Greenville because, uh, you know, we're, we're coming back here so much, but we always enjoy being back in the area, and we're so grateful uh, for the invitation from, from Greg and for the hospitality that uh, you all are extending. It's always good to be here. This is such a wonderful church, such a, a warm congregation, uh, such a rich heritage of, of missional engagement, both uh, in this community and around the world, literally, and, and also uh, just wonderful support and partnership for the work that we do together in Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of North Carolina. So thank you so much for your partnership, for your support, for your friendship through the years. I uh, was excited when Greg shared with me the theme that you're working under during this season of looking at the one another's of the scriptures. And uh, he gave me several texts to choose from, to preach from, that would sort of be under the banner of this idea of showing hospitality to one another. And, um, you know, I think all preachers have sort of directions into which they're called. Uh, some people like the Old Testament, some like the New. Uh, some people like Paul, some people like the Gospels. I'm the one who falls into the latter category. You know, when given a choice, and my natural inclination takes me toward the New Testament in general and then toward the Gospels in particular and then toward the words of Jesus most specifically. And that's where we find ourselves this morning here in the 14th chapter of Luke, which it might be my favorite of the four Gospels. So forgive me if I just keep going back to my favorite passages, but I hope that's okay for you as well. So I'd like to direct your attention to Luke chapter 14. And we'll be looking at a, a pretty lengthy passage here, verses 12 through 24. 
So let's look at this passage together. Um, and by the way, the context is Jesus finds himself at the home of a Pharisee where there is a dinner taking place. He has been invited in. And we'll unpack that just a little bit more later. But I wanted to set the context before I start reading uh, in verse 12. So he said to the one who invited him, so Jesus is speaking to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they might invite you in return and then you would be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent to his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, well, I've just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, yet there's still room. And then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited, will taste my dinner. May God add to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Would you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for inviting us into your house to feast at your table. Nourish us today by your word so that we may be equipped to follow its teaching in the world. In the name of our Savior, our Master, our host, and our friend, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. I would imagine that just about everybody here this morning has seen what has really now become a cinematic classic, The Titanic, starring what is now very young Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. It takes the factual account of that ship's first and final voyage and places it over a fictional account of a love story which develops because of a chance encounter between two of the ship's passengers. Rose DeWitt is the daughter of a wealthy woman whose fortune is gone. 
their only hope for maintaining their lifestyle and their social standing is Rose's engagement to Cal Hockley, an arrogant, self-centered business tycoon, the type of guy you love to hate. Jack Dawson, the one played by Leo, is a drifter, originally from Wisconsin, who has been to France to study art, made his way back to Scotland, and now has won his ticket on the Titanic in a poker game. Pretty far-fetched, isn't it? <laughs> Rose doesn't want to marry Cal, and she can't see any way out of her predicament except to end her life by jumping overboard. Jack sees her. He talks her out of it. But then she slips and almost falls to her death. Jack grabs her hand, pulls her up, and saves her life a second time in as many minutes. At first, Jack is accused of abusing her, but she vouches for him, and he receives an invitation to dinner in first class. The unsinkable Molly Brown provides him with her son's tuxedo, which she just happens to have on board. <laughs> and Jack rubs elbows with the elite. And though he does perform admirably in that setting, Rose's mother and fiancé remind him in not-so-subtle terms that he's not their kind and doesn't belong at their table or in their lives. Now, of course, that kind of snobbish, conceited, arrogant, segregationist attitude is not limited to the movies. Art simply imitates life. There are many boundaries, even in our world today, that separate people from between those who are in and those who are out. Racial boundaries, political boundaries, social boundaries, economic boundaries, gender boundaries, and yes, even religious boundaries. Those distinctions existed in very pronounced ways in Jesus' day, especially the religious one. Here in the 14th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, Jesus is sharing a dinner with fellow Jews at the home of a prominent Pharisee. Jesus was very aware that his dinner companions viewed the world as being divided into three distinct groups. There were good, pious Jews like themselves who kept the law with all of its regulations and stipulations. In fact, studying and observing the law was for them a full-time job and a way of life. And there were other Jews who were also children of Abraham, but who lacked either the time or the opportunity or the desire to keep the law to the fullest extent. Maybe they worked with matters which were unclean, or they couldn't afford the time or the money to make all the proper sacrifices, or they worked on the Sabbath, or who for various other reasons were simply not good law-abiding Jews. 
then there were the Gentiles, those completely outside of God's covenant, those who were called dogs by the religious Jews with absolutely no hope for salvation, at least in the minds of those first-class Jews. So when Jesus makes these radical statements about the humble being exalted and those seeking to exalt themselves being humbled and how hosts shouldn't invite to dinner only those who can pay them back, one of his pious dinner companions tries to turn the conversation in a less offensive direction with the seemingly innocent remark, Blessed are those who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. In other words... He's saying, let's not spoil our dinner with this talk of mingling with those offensive people. Let's just rejoice that someday we will all enjoy an eternal feast in heaven. But what he didn't say, because he didn't need to say it, since everyone there already understood it, is that since only our kind is going to heaven, we won't have to worry about all these others, and we can just enjoy ourselves without really being bothered by the low-class Jews or the no-class Gentiles. Now, you know Jesus. There was no way he was going to let that remark go unchallenged. No way Jesus was going to let them get through their meal without giving them just a little more indigestion. And so he tells a story. Someone gives a great feast and invites all of his family and friends. And everyone who was responded sends back their regrets and their excuses. None of them are coming. The servant gives a report to the master, and he's angry. And so he orders him to go out into the streets of the city and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Servant does as instructed and said, we still got room for more. The master then tells him to go outside the city, down the roads of the rural countryside, and invite everyone he can find and persuade them to come to his house for a feast. And he concludes, for I tell you, none of those who were first invited will taste of my dinner. Now, it's not exactly polite conversation for supper club, is it? Underneath this story about this hypothetical dinner party, just what is it that Jesus is trying to teach both his dinner companions and us who claim to be on mission for him. Well, there's a lot going on in this parable. But let's just look at a few of the key ideas. I think Jesus is saying, first of all, that we might be surprised by who's at the feast. We might be surprised. The Pharisees, like those rich snobs on the Titanic, thought they had it all figured out. They were in for sure, they thought. Everybody else was probably out. As usual, Jesus takes their assumptions and he flips them upside down. The originally invited guests represent Israel, the children of the covenant, who have received God's word 
through the law and the prophets, those who should have been most open to the revelation of his inbreaking kingdom. The poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame on the streets and lanes of the town represent those who are on the social and religious fringe of Israel, the people who of the land who were not really able to keep the law to the letter. And those who live outside of the city on the roads and country lanes represent the Gentiles, those for whom Israel had been called to be a light, but who instead, but from whom instead the light had been hidden. And so Jesus says here, those who were in will be out, while those who were out will be in. The test of who gets included in God's banquet is not a test of religious or moral or doctrinal purity, but a test of response. Not how good are you, but did you respond positively to God's invitation? We might be surprised by who's included in the feast. I think a second thing this parable teaches us is that we exclude ourselves with our own excuses. Jesus' closing words seem pretty harsh, don't they? He says, I tell you, none of those who were first invited will taste of my dinner. I mean, at first it doesn't sound like the very same Jesus who said, Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. And we think, how could Jesus be so cruel as to exclude someone from his kingdom? But I think if we view it in those terms, we're missing the point. You see, Jesus is completely and ultimately fair. Jesus doesn't exclude anyone, but he allows us to exclude ourselves with our excuses. He doesn't force anything on anybody. He allows us to exclude ourselves with our failure to freely and positively respond to his invitation. Third, as servants of the master, it is our responsibility, it is our duty to invite others to the feast. In the parable, after these initial guests excuse themselves, the master of the feast instructs his servants to go out and invite others to take their place at the table. He tells them to go first to those nearby and then to travel as far as they possibly can in order to fill up the master's house with people feasting at the bounty of the master's table. There'd be no limits and no exceptions. Everyone is invited, is invited, and everyone who responds will be welcome. Now, now, there is a concern on the part of the master that at least some of the guests, especially those who are far off, might view this invitation with some suspicion. After all, it would have been an extremely rare occurrence for a wealthy city dweller to invite poor country folk to a feast at his mansion. And so the master instructs his servants to compel them to come in. 
Now, he's not talking about some middle-aged crusade-like approach where you take the sword and force them to be baptized. But he is telling his servants to be creative and convincing and passionate and persuasive in extending this invitation so that those who are at a distance on the receiving end can be absolutely certain that this invitation is genuine, that it really is meant for them, that they really are welcome. They're expected to extend the kind of hospitality which will leave no doubt that they belong. Now, you and I who have responded to God's invitation to the feast, we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are servants of the Master, and our Master has called us to go out and invite others to guard to God's feast and we're expected to invite every single one we can no limits no exceptions surely we should go to those who are nearby but we're also called to go to those who are far away and that doesn't mean just far away geographically like across an ocean but it also may mean those who are far away culturally in terms of their lifestyle and habits, and customs. People who may not look like us, or talk like us, or dress like us, or live in our neighborhood. And that invitation must be issued in such a way that there's no doubt that we are sincere, and that they truly are welcome. You know, I have the privilege of traveling all around North Carolina. As Michael said, now for 14 years, it's hard to believe it's been that long. But I get to travel all around, and I get to be at wonderful churches like Oakmont all over our state. Churches with beautiful buildings and strong programs, gifted staff, meaningful worship services, all of which appeal to those who have been a part of the church for a long time. Sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder what kind of job we're doing in reaching out to those outsiders, the poor, the lame, the crippled and the blind, to those who don't know and quite frankly may not even completely understand our cherished ways of doing things. Sometimes I wonder if we're being as creative and innovative as we can possibly be in extending an invitation to the outsiders in the community to come to our party, to sit at our table, to be part of Jesus' feast. Sometimes I wonder if we're willing to sacrifice some of the aspects of church life that we find so comfortable and so meaningful to us that meet our needs in order to meet the needs of those who don't yet know Jesus. Sometimes I wonder, even when we do extend an invitation to those folks who are further away, do we really welcome them? 
Do we really extend hospitality to them? Not just be nice to them on Sunday, but really open up our lives to them. Really welcome them into our Sunday school classes, into our social groups, into our homes, into our non-Sunday lives. You see, once we've come to the feast, it's no longer about us. As servants of the Master, it's our responsibility to invite others, including maybe even and especially to those who are different from us, to the feast. As servants of the Master, it's our responsibility not just to invite them, but to welcome them, to embrace them, to do everything we can to welcome them into not just our church, but into our hearts and into our lives and into our hearts. I'm excited about what y'all are doing next Sunday when I heard about that. This wonderful day of service in which you're going to be briefly here in the church house for a sort of an introductory worship period, but the real worship will come as you go outside the walls of Oakmont, as you go into this community, as you seek to meet people where they are. And that's a wonderful thing. I hope and pray every single person here finds a meaningful expression of hospitality next Sunday. But I want to challenge you to take it one step further. Don't make it just a one-way street. You go do something nice for somebody and then think, well, we've taken care of that for the year. And then come back next Sunday and everything is all the same again. Instead, I invite you to pray right now. And I invite, ask God to show you one person who may be not a part of God's heavenly banquet right now, that God will place in your life and you can establish a relationship with that person so that in the coming weeks and months and maybe years, they will go from being ministry targets to being brother or sister in Christ. Guess who's coming to dinner? To God's great feast, his heavenly banquet. Well, all kinds of folks, including many whose presence might surprise us. It could be you and me if we'll lay aside our excuses and respond to his invitation. And it could be many others, some of whom aren't that much like us if we take genuinely our call to welcome them, to embrace them, to show hospitality to them, to invite them to join us on a great feast, on a fantastic voyage whose destination is certain and wonderful. Let us pray.
Forgive us, Lord, when we keep your blessings to ourselves. We keep our table small and comfortable just for us and those close to us. Show us both this day and in the days ahead and next Sunday and beyond how we might truly exercise hospitality in ways that make an eternal difference for our neighbors and for ourselves. In the name of our Savior and our host and our good friend, we do pray, Jesus the Christ. Amen.